You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Hey, Resonate, my name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in the last week of this series called Fight for Your Life. And as we've been looking at this, really the idea behind this is the sense that Um, For many of us in this pandemic, uh, there's been two reactions. And one is this reaction of this settled sadness, this apathy, this like, I don't care about some of these things like I used to care about these things. Some of that's really great. Some of those things are like, wow, I've found what I really need. But then others of it, I think that we've gotten out of this idea of like caring for some of the things that actually matter. And we're finding ourselves in a less healthy place. And we're talking about, man, we've got to fight for some stuff. On the other side of that, um, there's been this other um, reality that we begin to see, and that is one of anger, um, one of frustration that's come out. And oftentimes what has happened is in this like stress moment, the kind of anger that we're having is, is really landed towards the wrong things, that we're, we're angry and we're fighting about things and for things that don't even matter and aren't leading us to a place of flourishing. And when I think about these two aspects, um, the, they really pull me back to um, something I saw this week. I ran across, uh, you know, and just w- where you see um, articles and stuff like that, but I ran across this, this video of this guy who's surfing and has this really close encounter with a shark. And it just blew me away as I began to think about what would have been like uh, to be in that moment. So I, I want you to actually see it. Um, no one dies, so don't get freaked out, turn away. If you're afraid of sharks, um, I'm, I'm not saying this won't make you more afraid, but I'm saying that uh, just, hey, it's, it's not crazy. So take this and, uh, and check this out for a second. Can you believe that? <laughs> like it is this crazy moment, right? where as, as this guy uh, comes into shore, he doesn't know this whole thing happened. This shark, you, you, know, you see it lurking in the water and it becomes more and more uh, you know, transparent or, or it's, it becomes more and more clear that this is what it, and then it comes and you begin to see it come out. Um, and I'm not sure obviously why it decided not to, but this guy is just paddling along, right? He is just doing his thing and he doesn't realize there's a predator in the water that is, you know, that can take and attack him. There's a shark attack that is imminent and he doesn't know until he gets back and they begin to show him this drone footage and they, they begin to say, hey, man, you almost got attacked. And I think this is this profound idea of really what I think is, is in our world right now, that there is something in the water and we don't even realize it. And, and I think this is one of those things that we need to pay attention to. On the other hand, uh, I really believe that there's some things that we're paying attention to that we don't need to pay attention to. And this takes me back to another moment in the water um, where a few years ago, Paige and I were in Hawaii. We went there to celebrate uh, one of our anniversaries and we went to this place and uh, it was an old, like a volcanic crater and it was this amazing place and it had all this coral and you could go there and it's just like it's just crazy and amazing and we love to snorkel and so um, the interesting thing about this place is that the water level compared to the coral um, the coral is pretty shallow um, in many of the places compared to the water level and especially when it's low tide and so we're there and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're floating around looking all this, at all this stuff, trying to figure out all these different um, sea creatures and all this uh, just amazing stuff. 
And so I remember being uh, being there and swimming, and uh, you know, there's the the waves take you up and then bring you down. And when they bring you down, it's pretty close to the coral. And I remember getting close to the coral, and then all of a sudden, this eel comes out. This eel comes out, and I mean, it is like this thing where I'm looking at this eel, his mouth opening. And, and it's like, I, I just freak out. Like I start screaming. And if you've ever tried to scream while you're snorkeling, it doesn't work very well, right? So all of a sudden my mask is filled with water because I'm just erupting this blood curdling scream that no one can hear because I'm around this. And I begin to, uh, th- then I begin to thrash, you know, and I probably look like a shark is attacking me at that moment. But I begin to, you know, I have flippers on and I'm trying to stand up on the coral, trying to get away from the eel. And, uh, and then like someone's yelling, get off the coral coral, you know, and it's like this protected thing. And, uh, and I'm just, I'm just freaking out and I look like an idiot. Um, but the good news is that Paige was kind of a distance away. And so I regained a little bit of my composure and tried to swim over to Paige and I got here, you know, and my adrenaline is coursing through my veins and, uh, you know, I still am like ragged breathing. She's like, what is wrong? And, uh, not, she's way kinder than that. I just made Paige out to be a monster. Uh, but, uh, sorry, Paige. Uh, in this, she says, what's wrong? And I was like, I, there was an eel. I, I, and um, she said, did it, did it hurt you? I was like, no, no, it didn't. Um, she said, did it attack you? I, I said, no, no. Um, and then she just looked at me like, you are like, you're freaked out, right? And you're like, you're struggling, Keith. And, um, and I can't figure it out. And I was like, it was very ugly, Paige. It was very ugly. This eel, you know, it comes out and it's doing its thing and there's this dude looking at its house, right? And, uh, and, and that's all that happened, right? But it freaked me out and I was like losing it um, because I was just in the same, you know, in the same area with this eel. And I think that this is one of those things where we begin to say, hey, there's some things in our world that are actually dangerous that we might not even see and there's some stuff in our world that's just ugly. And it, it just doesn't really change our world, but it's just there. And my, we might be freaking out about the wrong thing. And, and today I really want to press into something that I think is like a shark in the water. And I think that there is a shark in the water um, for us. Um, and it's not an eel. And this shark is called consumerism. And I know that when we think about the word consumerism, like of all the things we could talk about, Keith, in our world, consumerism, why are we fighting against this? And, and I think that this is uh, more significant than we realize. As we think about this idea of consumerism, it is something that is wired deeply into our worldview. And I want, for, I want to challenge something that's really very much unseen, and this idea that I believe is actually making us miserable, even though we don't really see it in our world around us. And, and as we think about the pathway of, of we've, uh, we've watched in terms of happiness, and as people have begun to do research uh, over the last 20 years on are you happy, this fascinating reality is, is that we're declining in our perceived happiness. And while I'm not trying to say there's a silver bullet to this, I do think that there's a connection to this increase in, um, in consumerism that, that, that when we begin to operate in our world, that surrounding our world, there is a massive industry around getting you to be a consumer around getting you to be able to have something that you feel like you have a need in and then being able to bring something external to you, something that is, that, that is going to meet that need. Like everything around you is getting you to be able to believe this, right? And so we live in a world 
And our entire world is, is, is speaking to us in this way. And we have consumed that. And as a people, the way that we think, our worldview is really to see ourselves as really the world, as people that live in this world and the, the context of this world is that all the stuff around us is there for us to be able to have to meet our needs. And so we have these perceived needs that we begin to look at the world around us and say, this is to meet this need and this is to meet this need and this is to meet this need. And all around us, we begin to, uh, we begin to have things that are pressed into us and we begin to believe that this is the way that we are to live that we begin to form our identities not as contributors, but consumers. And we begin to see the individual as the center of this. And our worldview is primarily oriented towards saying, what does it look like to have my needs met? And so what has happened is over the years, the expectations of our world, the expectations that we have of every organization is that they would clearly be able to communicate how they meet our needs. And we cannot imagine a world where, where we live in that in our interactions and they don't communicate with how they meet a need of ours. Like this is, this is pervasive. And what it does is it takes, and I mean, think about this idea that data is the most valuable thing. It's surpassed oil is the most valuable thing. And at the end of data is your consumers, your consumerism. Everything is oriented to being able to tell you your happiness can be found by this thing. That if you have enough money, that you can be happy. That if you have these experiences, you can be happy. That if you have this, this part of your life, that you can be happy, right? So the entire narrative is that we take external things to make us happy. And that's how we see the world. And this is kind of how it's wired into us. And this is why it's very difficult to speak about this because it's just it's the, the water we swim in, right? The air that we breathe, so to speak. And so here's what I want you to understand. Like, why is this a shark? Why is there a shark in the water around you? It's because consumerism is the worship of comfort and the avoidance of difficulty. It is the worship of comfort that we begin to say, hey, the world around us it is there for our comfort and the avoidance of difficulty. And so we're trying to figure out what do we use to have more comfort and less difficulty? So this is what um, I mean from our cars to our phones to our you know, clothes. Like we're, all this stuff is marketed to you to be able to say, I'm going to increase your comfort. I'm going to increase your internal uh, desire for happiness. And I'm going to decrease the difficulty in your life. In the midst of this, we begin to, to miss some stuff. And we begin to miss profound things. And we begin to... to, to have these, these realities. And I, and I want to just take a minute and be able to say, we all have needs and it's not wrong for us to meet our needs. But the problem is when we begin to take those external things to meet our needs, what happens is it's an always an incomplete and an inaccurate understanding of what our needs are and do they actually meet our needs. So we begin to have this in this world that we begin to say, if I buy this, if I purchase that, if I begin to consume this thing, like this begins to, to meet my needs. And so this is the world around us. This, this will be this thing. Now, here's what happens is when we begin to have this orientation, what happens in our worldview with our faith is that we begin to take and we begin to transition that normal reality that, that just 
that worldview that is pervasive and we bring it into our faith. And so we shift, um, we, we struggle to shift to a paradigm when we think about our faith. We don't know it, we don't intend it, we don't even realize we're doing it, but it's likely that all of us bring those expectations of meeting our personal needs into our faith. And so we begin to, to have something that we begin to have called consumer Christianity. Here's what Mark Sayers says about this. Consumer Christianity is a form of cultural Christianity, which is separate from biblical Christianity, that would compromise the cross with self rather than flag, mixing the worship of God with the worship of options, personal autonomy, low commitment, opinion over responsibility. Like this is this idea that we have this consumer way that we look to church as simply a, someone that would give us religious goods and services. And then we begin to figure out which one gives us the best religious goods and services. And we begin to see that primarily from that point of view. And the, this ultimately takes and robs us of the sense of what our faith is really about. That we begin to get to this place where it is a hollow shell of what is intended to be in our lives and what God is supposed to be doing into our lives because we take and we simply put this consumeristic idea that we look to church and we begin to say, this is what I expect out of this. And it is really easy to do that we come into this and we have this moment where we expect church to do something. We expect the sermon to be this way, worship to be this way, and it's just one of those things that we begin to miss something very profound. And, and here's what we begin to see. How do we deal with this? Like if this is the shark in the water, if ultimately this, this idea of happiness is always going to be elusive, if the shark of consumerism stays in our life, how do we begin to, to eject this? And this is where we get a story in the Bible that shows this significant difference and shows us really how we are to operate if we are beginning to exchange the idea of consumerism with something else. So here's where it is. It's in Luke chapter seven. In Luke chapter seven, we begin to see Jesus um, interact with these two people. And so here, here's what it looks like. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then, Jesus answered his thoughts, which I think is one of the coolest verses in the Bible, um, that Jesus knew what he was thinking and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so he says, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I, came, I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. 
so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Then the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This story is such a beautiful story of the raw, real moment of worship. When we begin to see this whole thing play out, that we begin to see this woman who's had this interaction with Jesus, who's had the clarity of understanding who Jesus was, come back to this. And she comes with maybe the most expensive thing that she owns, this, this alabaster, beautiful alabaster jar of perfume. And this might be her greatest possession. And in light of her understanding of who Jesus is and the, the truth that he brings and the hope that he is, she brings him, this is the thing that I have to offer. This is the, the thing. And she goes into this and it's just this incredible moment where we begin to see how real and raw this woman is because she understands that she has a great need and she understands that Jesus is the only hope that she has. And she's not looking to other people and how she's going to appear to them. She's not looking to see if she's going to be cool or fit in. She's going to this religious man's house as a sinful woman saying, I have to find Jesus. I have to worship Jesus. And it captures her emotion. And what I think is so clear about this is here's what Jesus does. He begins to say, this is the difference between you. She brings something to Jesus. Again, this may be the most expensive thing that she owns in this. She brings this thing to Jesus and he begins to say, hey, Simon, let's look at the behaviors here. You didn't do anything for me. You expected something from me. She brought something to me. And that's really clear. Now, I want you to understand, really, just, just I want you to get that this is not about earning your salvation. This is about responding to what Jesus has already done, responding to the gift of Jesus in our life. And what do we do? Do we operate as worshipers, as givers, or do we operate as takers in this? So this is, this is the key. When we begin to understand what Jesus does and what we begin to understand the, the work that Jesus has done in our life, it profoundly changes how we interact with him. And so when we begin to think about um, how we move to this point, like even as we think about this moment that we're in, how natural it is for us to walk into a moment to celebrate Jesus, but ultimately have on our agenda getting something from him. That we walk into a worship gathering beginning to say, ultimately operate more like Simon. What am I going to get out of Jesus than the sinful woman? What am I going to give to Jesus? Am I coming in to get fed or am I coming in to ultimately to give something, to be challenged, to be able to say there's something that God might do in my life? This is the great sense of what ultimately will bring us into the greatest sense of enjoyment and satisfaction in our life. When we begin to understand God has already done it, and our movement towards worship is to be able to celebrate and to be able to understand and have clarity. And so we begin to say, what does it look like for me to give, not to take? Not to be able to orient, be oriented towards receiving things in, in terms of anything to do with my faith, but to be able to say, this is my response to what God has already done. So that I bring him my worship. I bring him my life, my whole life. I'm not looking to figure out, do I fit in? Do, am I, am I, is this cool? Is this all, all these other things? I'm not using to, looking to use Jesus, 
but to be able to give something to Jesus because Jesus paid it all for me. I've received the gift from Jesus. And this changes everything about us because when we begin to understand what consumerism is, consumerism is meeting an internal need with external things. But here's what Jesus has done. He's met our greatest, our greatest need from an internal place. So therefore, we begin to move towards external things, right? It changes who we are. And so we don't look around and say, I need to get that. I need to get that. I need, I need this thing. If I only have this, then man, this will make me happy. And there's a subtlety to this that grasps every single one of our hearts. Every single one of our hearts. And I want us to get what has happened here. That there's a shark in the water, and that shark is named consumerism. And it's lurking around us. Another one of my favorite shark stories um, is, is really the story of Louis Zamperini, the, the uh, athletic um, Olympian running the uh, runner, and then he goes to war, and as he goes to war, he's a part of this, um, this, this plane that gets shot down, and he's one of only three men that survived the plane crash, and um, he's on this boat for 50 plus days, and as he's on this boat floating out in the Pacific, um, it, it just he documents crazy stuff from being strafed by a Japanese warplane um, to having to uh, take one of the three of them dies um, to being able to say, how do we survive in this? To being um, to having no, no water, no food, um, the, the elements bearing down upon them. But one of the stories that he tells is a story of his experience with sharks. And he tells of in, in the water all of a sudden being woken up by these sharks that were taking and they, were, they would nudge the boat. And it began to be, they would just kind of graze by it um, and, and then they would begin to grow, go harder and then they would begin to ram it. And these guys, right, they're out there in, in the elements, probably a little deranged, probably a little crazy, but the shark comes out at them and they decide, okay, what, what are we gonna do? And here's what they begin to do. They begin to punch the shark. They start taking them, they, they see the shark and they punch it in the face. And so over and over they take and they, they punch the shark in the nose. And it's this crazy moment, like these dudes out in the, don't have any food, no water on, on this boat out in the middle saying, okay, shark, no, you're not going to have this. You're not going to take this. I'm going to punch you in the face. And they won. Like the shark left them alone. They evidently doesn't like getting punched in the nose by, uh, by these guys. And it's just this crazy moment where we begin to recognize, hey, there's a shark in the water and it's going to come for us. And what are we going to do? And the great thing is that Jesus punched the shark in the nose that he ultimately, when it comes to this thing, has met your most significant need, that, that ultimately we don't have to continue to be consumers in the world around us because Jesus has renewed us from the inside out, that we don't have to look at those things outside and begin to say, that's what's gonna meet my needs. If I only had that, we have Jesus, and Jesus has paid the ultimate price so that we can come before him, and the only act that we do is we give him our worship. And we don't figure out, what, do I, what can I get from Jesus? He's already given us all that we need. And this is profound. And this is profound as we begin to say, I can, I can ultimately give myself to something. I, I can move from a posture of being a receiver to being able to be in a posture of giving and being able to say, I can move. And when we do this, we move from consuming to contending. 
And, and, and this is subtle, but it's really key because when we begin to move towards this, we begin to see how people have already always moved towards Jesus. That in this, we're captured by the work of Jesus. That we, are, we become white hot in our worship. We enter into a place not thinking about what we're going to get out of it, but what we're going to give to it. And this begins to bring us into places of deep satisfaction that we begin to say, consumerism, you're not going to steal my worship. I'm not going to come into this, begin to say, what do I get out of it? But I'm going to look in what I can give to this. And this is what happens anytime people around Jesus, they begin to move towards being this kind of person. In fact, I think that you can begin to see as a person, being able to have a real understanding of who Jesus is by being able to watch this reality play out. So you see Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus goes from a taker, right? How can I get something from people? He meets Jesus and immediately becomes a giver. He becomes something he's contending for other people. We see the disciples, they're fighting to figure out at the very beginning, who's going to be on Jesus's right? Who's going to have the place of power in Jesus? And ultimately they give their lives. They sacrifice their lives for the mission of Jesus. We begin to see the apostles and so we begin to see um, the 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 early church. And in the early church, over and over, what happens is they have a moment, they understand Jesus, and they begin to give their life. The martyrdom of the, other, of the early church, they say, hey, my life is not worth it. I'll give up my life. The ultimate sacrifice, when we meet Jesus, there's no place for consumerism. When we meet Jesus, we go to a place where we're not about trying to see, hey, what more can I get out? We're full. And that might be the clearest understanding of, do we know Jesus? Because that moment of understanding the depth of our forgiveness allows us to be able to move towards Him, to be able to contend. So instead of it being about us, consumption is about a selfishness. Contending is about leveraging our life for others. It looks like this, that the way by which we get out of consumerism is the act of contending. It's the act of putting ourselves out there to be able to do what Jesus did towards us, live a life towards us that allows us to do something for someone else. Contending is moving our focus from using external things to meet our deepest needs to the realization that Jesus has already met those needs so the focus can be on those around us. What we begin to see is that contending is connecting the truth that there's this great divine drama around us at play. There's far more than just the stuff in this world that God has invited us to partner with Him to contend and center our life on His mission and not just our needs. And when we begin to do this, it meets our greatest needs. Consumerism tells us, change the external realities to make the internal reality of your happiness. Contending moves us towards personal renewal in the hidden places, in the places where we're with Jesus, asking Him to do things not just for us, but for other people, saying, hey, how can I begin to focus my life on something bigger than me? And it begins to overflow to our external lives. And this is how God works in significant ways. And we begin to see how we get pulled out of the trap. And so the question is, are you going to punch the shark? That Jesus has given you the opportunity to make changes. 
that Jesus has done something for you so that when the shark begins to circle, you don't have to be, a, you don't have to be the prey of the shark. That you don't have to, in the world that we live in, have this focus where there's a truth of you being able to say, I'm not going to succumb to the consumerism. And in this pandemic, I want us to understand that the isolation has caused us to be even more self-focused. It's caused us to be connected to, okay, what are my needs? How do I meet these needs? This doesn't move us to happiness. It moves us to a place where we're more consumed with ourselves and more consumed with consuming and to be able to figure out what this looks like. And so in this, here's the challenge. Even in a pandemic, how do we begin to be contending for those around us in order to save ourselves? Here's what we begin to see. Uh, opportunity for us to take some action in this. And so I, here's, here's just a fight plan for us. As we fight for our life and fight for something that's unseen, but deeply, deeply um, difficult and deeply dangerous, we begin to have this opportunity. I want you to do this. Write down three people you are going to contend for this week. And I want to ask you to do this in people that aren't in your home. The home has become the hub, right? Our homes are kind of the center and everything has been pointed towards the hub in the pandemic or towards the home in the pandemic. But I want us to be able to think outside and I want us to be able to think of three people not related to us that we can contend for this week. Here's what I want you to do. To fight for your life, I want you to fight for someone else's life. And I want you to be able to say, hey, what does it look like for me to ask God, not for something about me, but to ask God for someone else? That across our church, what if, what if this week we begin to have prayer increase for each other by a multiplicity of three? That we have a 3x increase in the amount of prayers that we're praying. What, what could God do this week as we begin to think about the prayers that are saturating our entire church, that are saturating the world around us, that we begin to see us saying, God, I'm going on to you on behalf of someone else. And the second thing is this, for one week pray, not for yourself, but to pray this prayer, God help me to see others as you see them and to love others as you love them. That you would say, hey, this week, I'm, I'm actually not gonna ask for anything in myself. Here's what I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask that I see others as God sees them. And you begin to look at others and there's something that begins to be transformed in your heart as you begin to see them as loved, accepted, there might be people that you struggle with giving forgiveness to and you begin to see them as God's creation and it begins to change the way that you operate towards them and that you would love others as God loves them and that you would begin to draw on the well of how you've received God's love to be able to love others in a way that brings the focus off of you to someone else. And in this way, may we be people who in this world where we're swimming around, where there are sharks in the water called consumerism, may we be people who start to fight against this. Not because of us and our efforts, but because Jesus made the first effort towards us. That he freed us from the weight of trying to create a world around us that meets all of our needs. He freed us from the weight of trying to find happiness in all these things. He said, I'm gonna give you a hope and I'm gonna give you a future. Will you fight for your future? Will you fight to be able to have your needs focused firmly upon your heavenly Father and upon the work of His Son, Jesus Christ? 
whom you now have an opportunity to be in relationship with, to have an opportunity to be in the presence of, to have your deepest needs met by your heavenly Father. I want to pray for us that this would be so. Lord, will you take and help us understand the difference between what is actually dangerous to us and what is actually not going to hurt us. Lord, would we begin to put our focus on the sharks in the water, God? That you would help us to understand the default actions of the clicks on the internet, of the actions of our lives that begin to say, if I only had this, if I added this to my life, the subtlety of just a little bit of happiness if this happens, and we begin to reject that, and we begin to say that will never fill this hole, that only Jesus will be able to do that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to punch the shark in the face this week, Lord, that you would reveal the focus on ourself, and that you would help us transition to being contenders for something bigger than us. May it be so, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.